Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group headed by yours truly. And on the update front, as I have announced in previous episodes, um, my film, film that would be like 14, uh, Lady Hyde, that is a uh, modern update and uh, alteration and added and everything of She Killed an Ecstasy and a few other things. Uh, my Jess Franco love letter uh, is available on Tubi and soon to be on Amazon Prime worldwide and on Mom E2 soon and supposedly Nuclear Home Video. I'm still waiting to see if they've launched yet. Uh, they were supposed to launch middle of November and haven't seen any update on that yet, so I will keep you informed. But uh, as of this recording, uh, the film has been up now on Tubi for about two weeks and we've had uh, very good numbers. The first week was good. Second week, uh, the audience increased by 500%, so that is awesome. And uh, I'm able to see how much Tubi uh, has with um, their advertising, like how much they, they've made off advertising from the film or whatever. So, yeah, so um, I'll still see. I have no idea what my first uh, cut from them will be yet, but... Uh, I just want to say thank you to all who have watched it, and thank you to all who have told others about it. Please continue spreading the word of Lady Hyde on Tubi. Uh, if you like it, watch it again, and then watch it again and again, uh, and tell others about it so they can watch it and spread the word. So the longer it does, the better it does, the more it will stay up. Um, you know, that's how anything is. So, But yeah, numbers look good, and also what looks good is the reviews. Um if you go to the IMDb page for Lady Hyde or for Jason Rudy, you'll see uh, we've had about, uh, I think, 10 or 12 user reviews, which the average is around 7 out of 10, which is great. And we've had, um, or like, I mean, stars. And then we've had two user reviews and a critic review. And uh, just got that, read that this morning from a couple days past. And I want to give a shout out to. ZC Emporium for B Movies, uh, his blog page. He's uh, looking on his thing. He's done reviews for like uh, going on about 10 years now almost. And uh, looks like he really liked Lady Hyde. He calls it uh, Lady Hyde, Nutsoid, Redhead, Strips, Nude, and Murders. And uh, he gives a really great review of it. And uh, one a couple little things I wanted to mention I liked. He says... Um, uh, the deaths, murders, actually are steamy and bloody. Jane will seduce her prey, often with nudity or kinky underwear, even the female doctors. Uh, I also will tell you about doctors. Uh, let's see. Finally, um, he goes, um, Erotic and vicious. This film will hit you strongly. Liz Clare's performance is sultry and horrific, and you will see her in your mind long after the film ends. See Lady Hyde, and it is all right if you don't mention the film in polite company. But uh, yeah, no, he, he definitely likes the film and the performances and the story, and uh, says some nice things about me and some of the words. So thank you very much for that. But uh, yeah, you can find that link uh, for his review on the IMDb page. You'll see it under critic review. So yeah, so that's what we're up to in there. And of course, uh, film 15, my update uh my my entry there we go into the emmanuel cycle uh the one m emmanuel e-m-a-n-u-e-e-l-e not the uh licensed double m e-m-m emmanuel so but yeah like all the uh you know emmanuel in america and uh, sister emmanuel and blonde emmanuel black emmanuel all those you know it's uh, my version of that and that will be premiering here in Sacramento, California, at the Dreamland Cinema in January 2023. Uh, so keep eyes open for that, and then it will be streaming soon if it's picked up, which hopefully it will be, as uh, Lady Hyde has been, and uh, that'll be on whoever picks it up, hopefully to be in Amazon again. And I'm thinking maybe, you know, it takes a few months for that to happen. So 
keep on the lookout for that. And finally, filming film 16. Uh, basically, yeah, kind of starting it up as we speak. Uh, filmed some early footage of it already. It's looking good. And uh, that'll be called She Knows Ferratu. And uh, it's my take on a vampire story uh, along with my um, commentary on society, consumer culture, and the way media plays into our lives and into our brains. So be on the lookout for that when that comes out. I'm thinking maybe, uh, I don't know, I hate to put dates on stuff, but I'm thinking I'm going to shoot for summer of 2023. Gives me about six months to shoot and edit and all that stuff. Unlike Franco, who of course could shoot and edit a film in about three weeks and then go on to the next one and do it about every month therefore onward but so yeah speaking of franco uh this episode takes us to uh episode 116 film 117 and that film would be titled is titled feria in el tropico the original Spanish theatrical title, and this was made in Spain in the year of 1982. Uh, the alternative titles, oh, this is a great one, uh, Orgasmo Perverso, the Spanish alternative theatrical title with hardcore inserts, didn't know that existed, and another one is uh, Mujeres Acorralades. Spanish theatrical with new narrative material. That's uh, Cornered Women. It's a good title. Uh, production companies for this. Fervi Films out of Madrid. And Hermino Garcia Calvo, Madrid. Theatrical distributor. Mundial Films out of Spain. Uh, shooting date. He shot this well, right around this time. Circa November 1982. Cool. Good timing. Uh, let's see. F- the first one, um, Furia in el Tropico, which is Furia Tropics, that got its uh, deposit legal number in January 25th of 83. Wow. About just two months later. And then the second version... Oh, no, see more. Yes. Okay, the second version, the Spanish theatrical with new narrative material, the Mujeres... Uh, got its legal number a month later. I'm sorry, three years later in February of 86. And then finally the hardcore uh, version, um, Orgasmo Perverso, uh, got its deal in Madrid of March 31st of 1986 as well. So they did those second deals three years later. And, uh, of course, we get material information from the book Flowers of Perversion, the Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume 2 by Stephen Thrower. And he says, uh, I can find no record of cinema bookings for Furia in El Tropico or Morejes Acorladas. Intended theatrical running time. (laughs) Intended. Uh, 85 minutes for the uh, second version, Morejes uh, video running times converted. Uh, let's see. First Fury Tropics, 87 minutes and 51 seconds. And uh, second version, uh, 82 minutes, five minutes shorter, basically, 32 seconds. Uh, director of this, of course, we all know who that would be, Mr. Jess Franco, Jesus Franco Manera. Uh, writer, Jess Franco. Executive producer for Fairview Films is a person that we're learning about now. Uh, Fernando Vidal Campos, who's now in the Franco universe. Uh, director of photography, Jess Franco. Of course, billing himself again as Joan Almeral. Uh, I like always does the female version. That's awesome. Uh, camera assistant, Enrique Diaz, as Enrique Diaz, with an E instead of an A for Diaz. Uh, production manager, Antonio Mayans, as J.A. Mayans. Uh, music, Daniel J. White, billed once again as Pablo Vila, and Jess Franco. Music recording as Studio Rigos. I'm sorry, Studio Rickson. Um, uncredited camera operator, Jess Franco. Production manager, Antonio Mayans. Editor, Jess Franco. So we got once again Jess Franco as writer, director, 
director of photography, camera operator, and editor. That sounds like me. That's the way to be. All right, cast. Lena Romay, of course, headlining as Marja Lopez. And she's billed as Lena Romay here, not Candy Coster. So this is her straight Lena role. Uh, Antonio Mayans as Robert Foster. Plays Sergeant Chano. Maria Del Mar Sanchez as Veronica Setten plays Rosora Villa. Ricardo Palacios plays Colonel Blanco. Veronica Arescevalta plays Anna Stern. Or, I'm sorry, as Anna Stern. She plays the prison governoress. Sonia Burko plays Chincha, the brothel madam. Juana de la Morena plays a shivering prisoner. That's an interesting title. Uh, Morejes, the second version, adds Mel Rodrigo as Father Rodrigo. I'm going to save the synopsis for the review after the bumper. And as of the time of this recording, I'm not sure if it's going to be a solo review by me or if I will have a guest. But stay tuned after this half of the episode and you will find out. Uh, so, okay, production notes. Uh, Furia in El Tropico, Franco's first women in prison film since the commercially successful Saddlemania two years earlier, was shot for a new outfit called Fervi Films. See also Una Rajita Perdos. An ill-fated project, Furia failed to find a release in the cinema until four years later when it branched into two new versions. The first of these, Morejes Acradalas, produced by Hermino Garcia Calvo of Moondial Films, dropped Furia no Tropico's sadosexual excesses and topped up the running time with new dramatic material filmed by Franco. It was given a new deposit legal number on February 21st, 1986, but like Furia, it was never released in cinemas. Wow, that's crazy. It's like you make a movie, three years later you make a new stuff, change around, and it still has the same uh, same uh, result. Um, the second variant, Orgasmo Perverso, added hardcore scenes and played for two weeks in Madrid. <laughs> That's funny. From March 31st, making it the only version of Furia in El Tropico's ever to see the light of a projector. Franco scholar Frances- Francesco Cesare who had seen the Spanish ratings documents, believes that the problems stem from the X certificate handed out to the original cut. Although Feria in El Tropico was not hardcore, it was nevertheless given a hardcore rating, which would have prevented bookings in regular cinemas. This was not what producers Fervi Films, a.k.a. Ferlea Films, had been looking for, as Cesari explains. They had two choices, film new scenes to obtain an S certificate or shoot new footage to make it into a real porno film. Of course, the first way was more expensive, which is why the film became the hardcore orgasmo perverso. Franco himself had found a similar situation before when two of his mid-70s French films for Eurochine, The Hot Nights of Linda, 1973, and Exorcism, 1974, were deemed too hard for the intended market and were thus split into variant editions with a sexed-up version created for porno cinema and a softer version created for mainstream cinemas. In those cases, however, both versions were created by the parent production company, whereas Furia in El Tropico ended up being resold to a second company for its proposed mainstream release as Morejes Cesare continues, As for Morejes Acradales, it was just a trick. The distributor, Mundial Films, officially produced it as a new film, but obviously, for the most part, it was Fury of the Tropics. The new scenes are definitely a minority, and in a way, this was the other solution, the more expensive one. But, on the other hand, Mundial sold, or tried to sell, Morejes Acrodalas as a new film, and a new f- and as a new film, it was very cheap. There is no evidence that Morejes Acrodalas was released theatrically, but as you know, 
The film is in the Filmoteca Espanola database, whereas Fury of the Tropic isn't, for the simple reason that it became Orgasmo Perverso. Maybe the more his Dallas trick was discovered and the ministry didn't allow distribution. All right. It's funny, stuff like that I actually always kind of like. It's uh, that weird stuff of taking a film and cutting it into two different versions and selling it under different titles to different companies or trying to make it as two different things. I always like that a lot. I think that's pretty one of the interesting things about uh, old films. Just like I'm also as equally as a film fan, I'm a uh, professional wrestling fan, so I always like the old stories of the the road or, you know, stories of interactions with people that are very interesting. So, yeah, that's interesting for me to read. Um, let's see. I'll give him, do some of his review or not. Um, yeah, okay. Let's, well, um, actually, I'm going to skip the review portion and just cut over to cast and crew and then go from there. Uh, every now and then, in Franco's 1980s films, it becomes difficult for a variety of reasons to match the names of the actors to the characters of the film. To begin with, the screen credits provide no character attributions. Sometimes the only available version of a film is a blurry VHS transfer, which makes visual identification very challenging. One is frequently dealing with individuals who have only acted in one or two movies, and matters are made even more difficult when it turns out, in some instances, that the same pseudonyms had been used by more than one actor. See Joan Verley and Lorna Green. Yeah, that's another one he uses quite a bit. Uh, add to this the absence of publicity materials for the more obscure titles and the IMDb's woeful habit of allowing people to amend film credits without permission, and a perfect storm of confusion arises. Uh, every one of these problems affects Fury of the Tropics. When we try to decide who plays the heroine's best, fin, best friend, Rosara, for instance, or the sadistic prison governorness, we run into all sorts of trouble. The only primary sources currently available are poor quality VHS transfers. There is no available press book for the film, neither Alan Petit's Jess Franco and Prosperity, nor the multi-authored Obsession Ventures, any information on the subjects, and the IMDb provides highly dubious information that seems to me to have been added on the basis of guesswork. Nevertheless, I will try to contribute something useful and explain my reasoning as we go along. Apart from Marga, played by Lena Romay, the two main female characters in Fury of the Tropics are Marge's best friend, Rosora, and the sadistic prison governess. It's reasonable to assume that these roles are played by second-billed Veronica Seton, sometimes given as Veronica Seton, owing to a misspelling on a Spanish VHS cover, and third-billed Anna Stern. These are pseudonyms, so, why are, so who are they really? And which actress plays which role? First, let's deal with the IMDb's claim that Anna Stern is a pseudonym for Mari Carmen Nito, an actress who appears uh, in a slew of Franco's 1980s films, including Mansion of the Living Dead, 1982, Diamonds of Kilimanjaro, 1982, Night Has a Thousand Desires, 1983, Lilia, La Virgin Perverta, 1983, and The Sexual Story of O, 1983. Is Mari Carmen Nito inferior in Otropico as the IMDb's claim? No. There's a superficial resemblance between Nito and the actress playing Rosora, but closer attention reveals telling differences in the shape of the nose and jaw. Rosora, in fact, played by Maria Del Mar Sanchez, who appears in Franco's 1983 film The Blues to Cali Pop under the pseudonym Mary Sad. I know who that is. Identification was hampered for many years by the atrocious quality of VHS release for both these films, a problem subsequently alleviated by quality TV transmission of Le Blues de Cali Pop in 2016. That's the version I have. Uh, moving on to Fury of the Tropics' Governoress, the same actress pops up again a few months later as the villainous foreign agent Lida in Franco's Sangre in mis Zapatos, Blood on My Shoes, 1983. Unfortunately, as per usual, the credits for Sangreñas Zapatos gives no character credits, just a list of actors. The first female listed is Lina Romay, who plays the Ditsi Paquita. The second is Veronica. Let's see. Okay, the second is Veronica Areschevera. Who play, uh, given that Lida is by far the most important female character after Paquita, 
I think it's safe to say that she and thus Furia's evil governess is played by Veronica Ares Chavalta. The same actress, appearing under her own name, can also be seen alongside Leon Romay in Mi Congero Iner Major. 1982. This is a softcore sex film by actor-turned-director Ricardo Plachos, a close friend of Franco's who plays the corrupt Colonel Blanco in Fury of the Tropics. Uh, judging by Romay's hairstyle in uh, Mi Conjo di Nemero, it was shot just before Fury of the Tropics, for which his functions as a sort of dry run. Uh, it seems very likely then that Franco cast Veronica Arresa Chavata in Fury of the Tropics on basic performance in that film. Uh, so, we have our two actresses. Rosiara is played by Maria del Mar Sanchez and the governess by Veronica Ares Chevalta. But, what about the pseudonyms? Which of the two is Anna Stern and which is Veronica Seton? Without consulting the performers themselves, there's no way to be absolutely certain. And besides, in Franco's 1980s films, the same pseudonyms were sometimes used by different actresses, at which point one may feel like giving up. But let's persist. All right. The Anna Stern moniker was first used on Franco's El Tesoro de la Diosa Blanca, 1982, in which the aforementioned Mari Carmenito plays Lida de Winter with the other female roles taken by top-billed Katja Bennett and Lena Romay, and the black actress Aline Miss. Given that there are no other female characters in El Tesoro to whom the pseudonym could refer, it would seem that Nita was indeed Anna Stern in this particular case, which is probably why someone has erroneously amended Fury of the Tropics IMDb entry to state that Anna Stern is Mari Carbonito. A variant of this name, Anna Stern, appears prominently on the posters and press books for two of Franco's 1983 films, Sola Ante e Terra and Sangre in Is. I'm sorry, Sangre in Mis Zapitos, but it's not among the screen credits. Neither Maria Del Mar Sanchez nor Mari Carmenito appear in Sola Ante e Terra or Sangre in Mis Zapitos. Whereas Veronica Ares Chavelta, as already mentioned, is the villainous Lita in the latter. Whew. I would therefore suggest that Anna Stern is Veronica Ares Chavelta, based on a match for two of the four occurrences of the pseudonym. With Maria Carmenito using it once, incidentally, its use on the poster for Slante and the Terra is a special case. The same poster design also names Katja Bannert and Karen Field as cast members, although neither actually appeared in the film. It would seem that this poster was decide, designed before casting was finalized, in which case perhaps Veronica Ares Chavalta, once again using the pseudonym Anna Stern, had been expected to play one of the Wicked Sisters, ultimately played by Carmen Caron and Mabel Escano. She would have been suitable, given that both parts require a mature actress capable of projecting menace. Alright, getting close to the end here. If I'm right, and Veronica Ares Chavalta is Fury of the Tropics and Astern, then we could safely say that Maria Del Mar Sanchez is Veronica Seton. End of story. Unless, of course, you prefer to disregard these deductions entirely and allot Veronica Seton to Veronica Ares Chavata purely on the basis of the shared first name. Are you ready to rip your hair out by the roots yet? I am. Well, it's a lot of good pronunciations. Or attempts by me, at least. All right, music. Fury and El Tropico borrows more atmosphere than it really deserves from earlier Franco films, thanks to a plethora of excellent music cues from... Abrazones Sexuals de Una Macherascada, that's a good soundtrack. Macumba Sexual, that's another good one. Chimitos de Placer, another good one. And La Noches de la Sexual Abrazones. Well, I had no wonder, yeah, those are four good soundtracks. Yeah, cool. Uh, locations, uh, La Manga de Mar Menor and Lo Pagan in, Mur in Murcia, Spain. The odd-looking bridge seen during an outdoor conversation between the colonel and the directress is the Puente de la Risa. Bridge of Laughter, so named because of the lurch in the pit of the stomach one feels while driving over its steep hump. It was intended by designer Thomas Muster to be just one feature of a planned redevelopment of the northern 
Mar Minor region, a little Venice with residential construction around a network of small canals. The bridge was finished in 1978, but the rest never happened, although the region is still referred to by locals as La Venezuela. Connections. The story is a mashup of previous Franco films about women in prison from 99 Women, 1968, to Barbed Wire Dolls, 1975. Veronica Arez Chavata's whip brandishing actress, I'm sorry, whip brandishing address to a yard full of prisoners revisits a similar scene in the latter film, Barbed Wire Dolls, although sadly without the villainous wearing hot pants and a monocle. Uh, the title pays homage to Andre de Toth's film Slattery's Hurricane, 1949. That's interesting. Starring Richard Rubemark and Veronica Lake. In Spain, it was called Furia in el Tropico, or at least it was the Madrid cinema listings. The Spanish poster still says Furia del Tropico. All right, f- finishing up here. Other versions. <laughs> Furia in El Tropico, failed to buy a, to find a buyer until it was re-edited with hardcore footage and released as Orgasmo Perverso. That's such a great title, though. God. Uh, the version did at least manage to sneak through a projector in Madrid in March 1986, but has, so far, never turned up on video or DVD. The same year, Franco added non-pornographic footage to Furia in El Tropico and created a third variant, Morejes, Corla Dallas, which remains pretty much, which removes pretty much all the sleaze and violence. Uh, Say goodbye to the flagellation, breast cutting, and knife to the vagina. All that survives of the rough stuff is the silly and unconvincing gang rape. Instead of adding more exploitation bang for the audience's buck, um, Morejes compensates for the lost material by adding more of everyone's least favorite ingredient. Wandering around in the woods. <laughs> I know that as well. Uh, Marge escapes with Rosara now accounts. See, Marge's escape with Rosara now accounts for about a third of the running time and comes complete with padded romance with Chano along the way. These interludes are only worth seeing for the absurd wig that Lena Romay wears in an effort to match the bubble perm she sported in the original footage. Perched on her hair like a demented bonnet, it makes her look like a deranged hair hopper in a John Waters movie. Nice. The new ending offers a more downbeat conclusion in which Marja and Father Rodrigo are betrayed by Chano and executed by the colonel and his men. Mel Rodrigo's hairstyle in these scenes suggests that an extra material for Morahis was gathered during the shoot of... Esclavis de Crimen, 1986, in which he plays a leading role, sporting a near-identical coof. All right, so there's the uh, text and gist on that film. All right, let me give you all the plugs and all the good stuff here. Of course, we've got a donation page on the uh, Red Circle page. If you're down to donate one time or reoccurring, please feel free for a... uh, very independent filmmaker and podcaster. Uh, if you dig the film, um, you can always down film. Sorry, if you dig the film too, Lady Hyde, or of the podcast. Uh, if you like either, definitely tell people about it. And um, on this podcast, feel free to download any of the episodes and, of course, subscribe. You'll have a new episode waiting for you every Wednesday morning, 1 a.m. West Coast time. Uh, subscribe today. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and some more of your favorite platforms. Uh, if you want to help us out, of course, like I say, tell everybody about the podcast. Tell everybody about Lady Hyde. Word of mouth is good. If you like it, don't keep it to yourself. Tell others. It helps me out. Thank you. And it's free. Uh... Also, if you want to get a hold of me, talk to me, ask me any questions about the podcast, movies, whatever, get a hold of me at the uh, email address francoobserver at yahoo.com. That's francoobserver at yahoo.com. Uh, you can find us too. We got a pages for the podcast on Facebook and Instagram under the Franco Observer Podcast. Uh, so, yeah, hang out to pass the bumper. And uh, here at I, or myself and a guest, think about Ephiria in El Tropico.
it's not just my heart. All right, we are back with the review of film 117, Fury in the Tropics, uh, of this episode 116. Um, Of course, this is your host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions, and this is a solo review by myself. I wanted to um, watch this and get it in time for the release date of November 30th, of this last day of November. Uh, I always want to have one every week, and sometimes with my schedule and doing all these films and work and everything else and holidays and other people's schedules, it's sometimes hard to get people dialed in uh, on a weekly basis. So sometimes we'll have the solo ones, and sometimes we'll have ones with guests. As as you listen to the podcast, you will see the rhythm and tradition. So, all right, well, I just got done watching this, Fury in the Tropics, and uh, I'm lucky because, uh, as you listened to in the first half, um, it seems like the more common version is the um, final one, the Morejes Acrodalas. Um, what's that translate to? Uh, cornered Women, you know, and I have the Fury in the Tropics version, the first one. So um, I'm going to give you the synopsis. Let me see. What are the, well, because Thrower basically gives you like the whole film. So I was going to say, if you listen to this, uh, there are going to be some spoilers, but I'll try not to leave out everything. So anyway, synopsis. Then I'll give you my review and Franco list and all the things that you come to expect and request. Uh, all right, synopsis um, by Stephen Thrower. Somewhere in South America, the present has two women. Marja and it says Rosara, but see the version I have is Rosalba. So now let me look at the cast here. See, it's weird. He has Rosara Via, but the version I have is translated to Rosalba, like Rosalba Neri. So I guess I'll call her Rosara because that's what he has. But I'm curious if it's changed. Anyway, the two women, Marja and Rosala, uh, free flee for their lives through a dense jungle. Marja muses on the reason for their plight. In prolonged flashback scenes, we see that they were prostitutes at a bamboo-walled brothel. Well, bamboo covering fence. So that's the cage. That has something to do with the whole film. So that's funny. See, there's some things that Throwdown doesn't catch, or maybe he... I don't know. But maybe I see different. Um... They were prostitutes in a bambooed wall brothel for an unspecified revolutionary revolutionary militia. In prolonged flashbacks, we see that they were two prostitutes at a bambooed wall brothel for an unspecified revolutionary militia. I guess. Marja fell in love with a handsome soldier, Chano, who was unable to present the horrors being... I'm sorry, was able to prevent the horrors being sent to a prison run by a wicked female directress. This sadistic lesbian reveals revels in beating the inmates and demands sexual satisfaction from her victims. Marja is beaten and abused, but tricks her way into a position of trust with the directress. Meanwhile, Chano works to free her. Rosara, meanwhile, is pressed into sexual servitude by the directress. Eventually, Marja smuggles a knife into the directress's bedroom, and with Rosara's help, she stabs her. The two women flee to meet Chano at a prearranged location on the coast, but on the journey, they are raped by a group of men. Rosara dies. Arriving at last at the arranged rendezvous, Marja is f- horrified to find the colonel. Chano's commanding officer appears. All right, so that's it. That's it. That's he basically boils it down. Um, sorry. Uh, the version I have, I'll give you the synopsis on that, uh, which was from Eurosleaze, uh, the website. And uh, this is Fearing the Tropics, Spanish with English subtitles. Yeah, it was good subtitles on this. It is Jess Franco's ninth Women in Prison proper, 
although many of his other 150-plus films have women-in-prison-type themes and situations. Lena Robey stars as the proverbial prostitute with a heart of gold, who lives and works in a bamboo-built brothel, regularly servicing the freedom fighters who stroll through. She falls in love with one of her customers, and she and one of her sister call girls are sent to a woman's prison, where they are promptly stripped and whipped in the prison yard in front of the other prisoners. The two are whipped with a riding crop more than 50 times. Shortly thereafter, the women are stripped and hung by their wrists, and then have their breasts and private areas poked by a sword. The women plot their escape, but cannot be saved from an incredibly brutal gang rape, even vicious by Franco's standards, and even more protected than the similar scene in Franco's women in prison film, Elsa, the Wicked Warden. Yes, Jess certainly knows how to please his audience. So, that's those two synopsises and reviews from different sources. Uh, I've got to go through things that I liked about this. Uh, first off, of course, we mentioned in the beginning, uh, it's got a great soundtrack. He takes soundtrack from about three or four different films before this. Um, what was it? Uh, Confessions of a Exhibitionist. Uh, let me see. Look at my list here. Uh, let's see. Yeah, he takes uh, music from like Confessions of an Exhibitionist, I believe, in... Um, uh, Mansion of the Living Dead, I think, and um, Incfessible Orgies of Emmanuel, and a few of those, so like three or four different soundtracks, really good stuff. Um, start, uh, there's really nice uh, shot selections of this, especially in the whorehouse area. Um, he captures a lot of cool sunsets and, and, and shadows coming through, and, and has a really nice, really beautifully kind of romantic scenery with that, which is cool. Um, starts off with Alina and the woman walking, of course, uh, Rosalba. And uh, with they mention the flashback, it's very romantic, um, nice shots in like a, the little whorehouse bar. Um, and it's interesting because there's like bamboo, like uh, like bamboo shades kind of hanging down, which I have on the outside of my house and um, over the windows. And they have them hanging up over these like chain link fences, which is interesting because the whole film is they're always in prison, they're always in cages. And they call them little birds during a certain scene later on. So it's like there are these birds in cages, of course, the big bird cage or whatever. It's always not a uncommon um, uh, symbol or you know um, um, terms used before. So yeah, they have, basically have the chain fence of the prostitute um, place, and then of course the chain link of the uh, prison that they're in later and then in the end when Lena's walking she walks against a chain link fence so she's always in a, in a cage all the time on display and, and bruised and beaten her whole life um, she's always basically just there served up all the time um, so yeah we have that going on um, and then of course when they're brought into the courtyard scene which is a good courtyard scene when they're brought into the prison and introduced by the warden and stripped and beaten in front of all the other prisoners. Uh, it's a good courtyard scene where they introduce the character and you see each prisoner there forced to watch and each of their reactions, how they view, and they're just very cold and indifferent to everything. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's interesting. In the print I have, they call it Rosalba, like Rosalba Neri, who was, of course, in 99 Women, which is a uh, prison film. And um, I always get uh, Esther Studer and Esther Mosher. I think it's Esther Studer that this gal resembles her and a little bit of like um, Anne, Anne Liebert, a little bit, very thin um, features uh, resemble her, of course. Um, finally, uh, about 25 minutes in, we have the first nudity scene, of course, and it's uh, Lena, of course. And um, the people that are nude in this are Lena and uh, the gal that plays Rosalba and the warden, uh, the female warden of this. Um, one thing I liked about this film too is that the Franco films I like are usually kind of sweaty and sleazy and kind of grimy and that's one thing about this film and really who identifies and epitomizes this is the guy that plays the colonel. He's, uh, let's see this guy, colonel, who is he? He is uh Ricardo Palacios, Colonel Blanco. That's funny, Colonel White. White white Colonel, like the big fucking great white elephant. And uh, he resembles actually John Midas. I was laughing because he's just real fat and sleazy and this big beard, just sweaty all the time, wearing these sunglasses and smoking a cigar and just looks like a fucking gross fat piece of shit. 
but yeah, he's in this and he's like watching the girls get whipped and then he wants to bring them in and question them. He says he just wants to have sex with them and make them his own sex, sex slaves. Um, which reminds me of that film, Sla- uh, De Sklaven, uh, Slaves, which is one of my like top 20 Franco films. This has shades of that, you know, um, very sleazy, grimy film. Um, we have different uh, reactions of the prisoners, of course, watching the whipping of the two new girls. Uh, the Madam Warden in charge. She's the one in charge over the colonel and then followed by um, um, Antonio Mayans' character, uh, the sergeant. So uh, that's the chain of command. Um, the Warden um, ships Lena and... Uh, oh yeah, so we have the part where the Warden later uh, decides to have her own fun and since uh, she knows the fat colonel's going <clears> to <throat> fuck the two girls, she decides, well, I'm going to torture them first and then have sex with them. So she hangs them both up and beats the shit out of Lena and then basically gets a, a, a sword and gets it really red hot and then stabs uh, the Rosalba Neri. I mean, uh, stabs uh, Rosalba with the hot sword uh, between her legs and then slices her nipple with it just for fun. So no disregard for human life. Just They're just things for her to enjoy. Um, we have um, Lena seducing the fat, sweaty colonel, which is funny. Another thing for Lena, I always say Lena will do anything for a film. And in this, Lena comes in and strips naked for this just fat, disgusting guy. And she basically seduces him and then uh, brings wraps her legs around his head when he comes over to approach her and as he's disregarding her and calling her a filthy name she's just like oh don't say that and tries wants to fuck him and tries to get it so she can get her way and wraps her legs around his head and brings his face down into her thighs and she laughs she goes oh you're a tongue man i haven't had a tongue man for a long time oh the joys of being alive so it's funny it's almost she's mimicking uh her uh, magic tongue scenes which is pretty funny um and then let's see, we have, uh, oh, and then when he decides to have sex with her on the couch, she yells really loud so all the people outside can hear to put the colonel over. Even though he's not giving her that much joy, she just sells it that much so she knows all the other soldiers will hear it and that'll make the colonel happy. So she's very smart. Lena's, of course, the brain, so she works the whole angles. Uh, then we have the Rosalba with the Madam Warden in bed after the hot stabbing. Yeah, so basically the warden had like just basically stabbed this woman with a sword and then like sliced her breast and tortured her and stuff, beat the shit out of her, whipped her, and then makes her come into her bedroom and like take off her boots and then starts like uh, fingering herself and tells the girl, come over here and like put your tongue here and makes her basically go down on her and then she like has sex with her in bed and makes her her like sex slave basically. Um, which is pretty crazy that like, you know, Okay, first I'm going to tear this person down, and they're going to be my slave. That was like brain control, mind control, basically. So that's one of the mind control themes we'll go over later. I didn't realize until I just figured that out, talking it out. Uh, we have, oh, and then this funny scene. Later on, you have Lena with the colonel again, and she's taunting him because he can't get an erection. So she brings in the other girl uh, to help her, uh, Rosalba, and Rosalba doesn't want to do it. And then they, like, force it to kind of, like, create a scene. But... Uh, and Lena, like, holds her down while the colonels have sex. It's kind of a tough scene. You're like, wow, Lena, you're flipping on, but it's part of her plan. But but the fat guy can't get it up. She's like, oh, what's the matter? The little red helmet can't get up. Does your big belly covering up? Covering up your little dick? And just fucking with the guy, like, basically taunting him, like, four or five times. I was hell laughing. It was a really good scene. And then, uh, yeah, I noticed, too, this film has lots of rape and, like, forced sex scenes in this film. Uh, so if that's something that's hard for you to watch, it's, uh, yeah, I will say, I was just like, Kind of like, wow, it's just kind of repeating a lot of the same themes. Um, so it's kind of scarce on... But it's but it's filmed well, and there's a lot of good... I mean, there's there's scenes for... There's reasons for it, but it's still a little bit excessive, especially as, you know, you realize like the first half is just a lot of just forced sex scenes. Um, uh, and then Lena tries to cure... Uh, oh, yeah, it's funny, too. And then, so you have this one prisoner that's always, like, shaking. She has malaria, and she's cold. They call her number 50... And then uh, after the warden had sexed with uh, Rosalba and she's crying in the in their kind of cell area, uh, the lady's like telling Lena, oh, I'm sick and shivering and stuff. And Lena goes, oh, hold on a second. I'll, I'll cure you later. Like, it's like Lena's sex can cure everything, which is kind of the theme in a lot of these films, how Lena fucks people and then they, and then they get better. So it's funny. Lena mentions that to the to number 50, the lady with malaria. So he's shaking in the corner with the 
covers on and stuff. Um, and then later on, as we see the flashbacks into the present day of the beach, when we see the resolve is about ready to be dead and they're just walking and walking and she's ready to give up. Lena tries to cure Rosalba by uh, basically fingering her and, and making out with her on the beach and tries to, like I said, Lena, uh, Lena lends a helping hand because she basically tries to finger her and thinks, okay, this woman's dying and she's, you know, exhausted and she's hungry and she's sweaty and she's tired. She's ready to give up life. What can I do to help her? Well, let's see. I'll put my fingers between her legs and try to give her orgasm and kiss her and, you know. That might help her, so yeah, that's Lena. Just sex cures all. That's Lena's salve. So, um, but I thought probably the coolest scene in here is uh, there's a scene where Lena gets the switchblade, gets a switchblade from uh, her boyfriend, the Colonel, and they plan to kill the Madam Director, as I had mentioned earlier. And uh, there's a scene with he passes her the switchblade, and Lena goes to um, Resolva and tells her, "Hey, man, we're gonna get together with this woman later," and uh, and then we'll and we'll kill her. And there's a scene of Lena showing the f- switchblade, and she's flicking it down, flicking it up, flicking it down, flicking it up with one hand. And the other hand, she has a cigarette, and she's smoking it, and she looks fucking tough as fuck, and she looks ultra cool. So to me, that's the cool Lena scene of all that is uh, Lena with the switchblade smoking a cigarette. So speaking of Lena, too, she has really great dialogue in this, really funny. She's very really smart-ass. She's quick. She's got good, clever dialogue. A lot of insightful things. Um, she's probably got the best dialogue of everybody. The more sleazy dialogue, of course, is the warden and the colonel. But uh, she's Lena's definitely the lead in this, of course, as always. So uh, and there's a good threesome too. I thought with Lena and the uh, Madam Warden and uh, Rosalba um, before they kill her, of course. Uh, it goes on quite long. Uh, they all get naked and ride around, and Franco takes his camera and does the body scape move where, uh, which I've copied since and had done before, but we just take the camera and trace all the body all up and down each person as they're doing it and kind of like follow the lines. So it's a pretty cool scene, uh, with all dressed up too. And the warden looks really good. She's dressed up in this like sparkly dress and her hair is all done and with no bra and her boobs are sticking right out. And, and, uh, it's really cool. They all, they all look really great in the scene. And then of course they, Three women kill her and ex- or two women kill her and escape, and uh, they're confronted by these five men, and they go, "Oh look, there's these little birds escape from the cage. Let's uh, sneak up on them so they don't hear us." And they treat them like like birds, basically. That's the bird line. There's there's no talking parrots in this film, but there is the the bird thing. So the guys think of these women as birds. They say, "Little birds escape from the cage. Let's sneak up on them and be quiet and capture them." You know, um, they basically. Lena and, and, and Rosalba are uh, raped by these five men and then uh, it cuts away to uh, Rosalba doesn't survive the experience and she dies on laying there and Lena escapes naked and she walks along a fence which is a thought really good scene almost reminds me of like a Jackie Brown where the camera tracks her and Lena walks naked outside in front of these apartments in front of this fence for like a block or something, and she's totally naked in the morning, and camera follows her. It was a very brave and very cool-looking scene. And uh, also like the scene afterwards where Lena gets naked into the boat. I thought that was a cool scene where she's like stark naked. She's running along the pier, and she gets into the boat naked. You see her like crawling in and everything. You just, no cutaways. Pretty cool. So, And, of course, it ends with the F-I-N of Finn. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. Um I wasn't sure, you know, I, I, I thought, uh, of course, you know, it would be whatever, but it was better than I expected. I'd give it, uh, usually don't grade films on this podcast, you know, but like I always say, if I go in with lowered expectations and it's better than I thought, and I'm always happily, you know, so let's say I thought this film was going to be like a D or maybe a D plus, and I ended up liking it as like maybe a C. So, you know, it wasn't bad. It was good. Good stuff enough. Um, I probably would watch parts of it again for certain shots because, like I always say, too, every Franco film I watch, I try to learn something from it or take something from it, either a shot, an idea, um, a camera trick you used, a location idea, a way to save money, a line of dialogue, a name, you know, something that you can take out of something. And, uh, yeah, I, I saw what he could do with his numbers and his setup of shots. And uh, this looks like a very low budget um, and a lot of rehashing of ideas and stripped st- 
down to certain elements and uh yeah there's there's some nice stuff i liked about it so yeah i, I definitely would uh check it out again so um the, the version i got of course is a gray market dvdr hopefully one day this will be released by severin or vinegar syndrome or mondo macabro or something you know it's decent enough to do that nothing too crazy or anything that would get them in trouble so yeah i'd say they should do that in the future definitely it hasn't been released yet. It's kind of crazy, even by DVD standards. So, All right, let's go over the Franco list of things that I find, that I observe, and put together a list over the course of this podcast to find certain recurring elements and themes or uh, items um, that some hang tough and go all the way through and some disappear some come in later some come in earlier in the body of films but i still try to keep them and some i should phase out by this point but i don't know we'll keep them for prosperity so all right on we go number one on the list of franco list is body of water yes we have a body of water we see a little bit in the beginning middle i think and then definitely at the end um Number two, sailboat. No sailboats, but we do have number three, boats. Yes, there's boats. We see a few boats at the end. Number four, palm trees. Yes, plenty, plenty, plenty of palm trees in this, which goes with number five, jungle sound effects. Yes, jungle and uh, wind sound effects. When Lena and uh, Antonio Mayans kiss, Frankie uses the big wind that he likes to use to show like a bursting of emotion. Number six, uh, chained up person. Oh yeah, Lena and uh, Rosalba chained up by the warden, of course, and whipped and all that. Uh, number seven, uh, dance scenes on stage, stripping. First I said no, but I'll say half point because instead of a stage, there's the courtyard that they're raised up above the other prisoners, so they're presented on a stage and they are forced to strip in front, but they're not stripping in a way of dancing, but they are presented up and stripped, so... I'll say half point, but it's still basics. Uh, number eight, club scenes, uh, dancing, or a bar. Well, we have the bar, the whorehouse, where they drink in the beginning. Um, so we have that bar. There's no dancing, really, but there's a, it's like a club bar. You know, people are there hanging out and hooking up. Number nine, uh, jazz music. Yeah, there's jazz music. There's uh, different tracks from the different films, like three or four different soundtracks put together for this soundtrack. Uh, number 10, uh, excessive zooms. Um, a little bit, not too bad. Mostly just to go in and out of different scenes, so I always forgive that because that's pretty good. But he does have some of the sex scenes and stuff. He likes to use zooms. Uh, number 11, out of focus. He just uses out of focus as basically as a transition, so that's totally not really uh, a slight at all. Uh, number 12, mirror shots. Yeah, there's a few, but very minor. They don't mean anything. They don't progress the story at all, or they don't show a clue or anything. They're mostly used in the warden's house and bedroom. Nothing nothing major. Uh, 13, mind control themes. At first I said no, but then I thought, well, yeah, because these women have to be kind of submitted and tore down and, and molded into the warden's uh, service and, you know, being their sex slave or their torture toy or whatever, you know. So it kind of, you know, there's a basic mind control, but that's with any kind of a institution, I think. Uh, 14, magic tongue scenes. Yes, uh, I, there's two, actually. Lena, like I had mentioned, when the colonel gives her uh, oral sex, she goes, oh, a tongue man. It's been so long since I've had a tongue man. She's all happy. And then, of course, Lena with the warden at the end. She has her magic tongue on full display, licking the uh, warden's boobs and nipples and everything. So, yeah, you see Lena's magic tongue there. Finally, I was like, shit, it's just going to be on Lena. But then Lena takes it out and uh, works her magic tongue. So, good. And she even mentions tongue, so that's good. Uh, Fifteen, red light. No, no red light scenes in this one. Uh, Sixteen, sheepskin rug or masturbation with a letter C item, and that would be no on this. Uh, 17, mad scientist and servant. Well, you don't have a mad scientist and servant, but you do have the warden and the colonel. Um, the colonel is a fat fat guy, the servant, and the madam is the woman, so yeah, I'd say that would be that. But not scientist, but close. 18, fish tank shots, no. 19, talking parrot, no. 
20 in credits, yes or no? Well, it says Finn, F-I-N. There's no credits of names, but by this time, it usually just says Finn or the end and then the um, license number of the print from the Spanish uh, film deal. Uh, 21, handwritten notes. Well, there's nothing handwritten, but I noticed on one of the Jeeps, they painted like a couple numbers, a number like 21 or 50, and then circled it, which I thought was pretty cool because you could tell they just did that for the film. Uh, so yeah, the numbers on the Jeep is what I, the only thing I really caught. 22, um, spiral staircase. Not really spiral staircase. There's one that kind of goes up to the right and then back to the left, more of a triangle shape and not really a spiral, but it does curve, I guess. So maybe a half point. That's in the warden's house. Uh, 23 inept cops. Um, the soldiers, I guess. Well, they're, they're not as much inept as they are corrupt and lawless. You know, they basically just do their stuff for what they can and with their own pleasures. And there's no law. They're basically above the law. There is no law in this. Basically, I guess it's, uh, unnamed South American locations. Yeah, South America. Um, let's see what we got here. Uh, inept cops. That's 23. Okay. 24. Uh, Billy Chains. No. 25. Kinks. Well, you have, um, the bare butt spanking. You see their butts and then the writing crop against it. You have the voyeurism of them being stripped. Uh, and everybody having to watch them be beaten, um, the submissiveness of uh, the warden tearing down um, Rosalba and making her her slave, and you know basically like I mentioned before breaking her down and then molding her to that submissiveness. Um, then you have um, uh, that's the majority, and then of course control and all that other bullshit. Uh, Twenty six uh, great headboards. No, there's the headboards in the. Uh, in the fat guy's place and the in the warden's bed, but nothing too outstanding, just standard wood. Um, nice design, 70s, 80s style, but nothing major. Uh, and 27, fear or desire. See, this is one I was kind of wondering, because like, you have the fear of the two women trying to escape, and then you have the warden and then that control them by fear, and I guess their desire is what causes their is the desire of the evil is creates the fear. So I would say fear is a motivating factor in this one. Now I think about it out loud. Uh, 28, acoustic guitar player. Nothing in this one. 29, reading a book scene. Yeah, yeah, the fat colonel is reading like a, a dirty magazine, uh, like some unnamed either penthouse or playboy or one of the many offshoots, uh, you know, knockoff deals, swank or wee or whatever. Uh, so yeah, he's reading a centerfold and Lena go and when Lena comes in, she goes, Oh, do you need that to get excited? And she, of course she fucking makes fun right off the bat. Talk shit. Uh, number 30 is one I just added. Uh, I, cause I mentioned it over the last five or six films, but of course, as I write it down, it's not in this one. Is there a pee scene or talking about having to go pee or, or excuse me, I got a pee or them actually peeing and, you know, camera watching them. And that would be no, no pee scene in this. So, that's number 30. Figured it'd be good. As always, we had 29, so I figured 30 is like a good even number. So, And we'll see. Maybe there'll be something new will pop up. We'll go to 31. But I think 30 is a good round. So, All right. So that was Fury in the Tropic. Furia in el Tropico. Or Fury in the Tropics. They have it as 1986 on the video box. Because that's when it was, I guess, released the other way but it's really 1982 filmed of course in november 1982 right around this time uh 20 years ago very cool 9202 actually excuse me 40 years ago god i'm getting old so yeah 40 years ago so this is around the 40th anniversary of the filming of this so good timing to be doing this episode so Alrighty, well, I hope you all had a great november i had an awesome november once again shameless plug um Lady Hyatt came out on November, came out in November on Tubi TV. So uh, check it out and uh, you can watch it there for free. And I know that's mostly United States in that, but I think if you go on TubiTV.com, you might be able to check it out if you're international. Um, but also, if you can't do that, so if it's not allowing you, you can, of course, do different uh, VPN number deals and go through those um, and go through that way. Or 
hang out if you have Amazon Prime because it was picked up by them. I'm just waiting to see when they'll add it. Uh, I've heard they're a little bit slower on the adding, so hopefully it will be up by December. We will see. I don't know. I have no control over that. So, But I do check daily to see and update people, so no word yet on that. But it should be on Amazon Prime, and if so, then people worldwide can check it out either by being a member or paying for the view. So, But, like, once again, it's on Tubi TV for free, so check that out. So, And if you dig it, let me know what you think. Of course, at FrancoObserver at Yahoo.com. Been having a lot of cool people check in and give me their reviews and leave reviews on IMDb, Letterboxd, and uh, that's been really cool now. So I'm joining the ranks of that, and the word... Jess Franco and the name Jess Franco pops up quite a bit in the reviews so if you're a Franco fan check out the film I think you'll dig it everybody calls it a love letter to Franco and carefully constructed and thoughtful and very precise and a lot of people dig it so hopefully you will too if you're a Franco fan check it out so alrighty well I will come back and see you in December and uh, have a whole new round of weekly reviews for the uh, basically 1983 portion of Jess Franco's life. So it's cool. We're moving into a new year as this year comes to a close. So thank you all once again. Stay warm, stay dry, stay healthy, and I will see you soon. Buenas noches, maha.